this podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. If you need a Bible, get your hand up real high. Uh, once you get a Bible, go with me to the book of John chapter number 8. John chapter 8 is where we're going to begin. Now, if you've been here, this is our third week in our series on freedom. Each week, we're, we're building and we're going to keep building on the truth because the ultimate goal is the truth will set you free. But each time we hear the Word of God, there's a transformation that takes place. And so I believe God's going to do stuff in your heart today. You know, we're going to begin in John 8. Before we get there, let me give you a couple analogies real quick. The first one we've talked about several times the last few weeks, that if you would go home here after church and there was a thief in your house, once again the thought is this, the thief doesn't own your home but he's in your home. And if he's in your home, he's going to influence your home. Now, in saying that, also, that every one of us in this room, whether we're unbelievers or believers, if we ever give ourselves over to alcohol, in any form, I've come under the influence of alcohol. And anytime I come under the influence of stuff in this world, it's going to change my character. And so it's very important that we understand the tricks that the devil tries to use on every one of us to influence our life in one way or another. Now, John chapter 8, verse 31. We've been here a little bit, but let's go back here. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. So Jesus was talking here to believers, Jews that believed. And he said, if you, you Jews who believed are believers in a whole, if you abide in my word, you believers are my disciples indeed. Now, what was the key there? Was to abide in my word. That word abide means to live or remain in. I believe a lot of times as Christians, we don't get to the victory that God has for us because we quit before we get there. And the second area that I find very easy for a lot of us believers is when we get the victory, we quit. I got what I wanted, so I quit. But that word abide there tells me that it's a lifestyle. It's every day of my life. The things of God aren't just a Sunday thing. They're an every day. So he's telling us here, you've got to stay with the word of God. Verse 32. And he's continuing his thought process. You, you believers shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, just right there in that setting, in that verse, it tells me right here, he was addressing believers, but he said the word of God, the truth, would set you free. So believers need to be set free. Each of us. How many of you remember this, and this may not have been that long ago for you, but when you got born again, did you come to Jesus and, and have all your problems and your issues taken, taken care of? No. When I got born again, I was still a mess But yet, God's saying here, I want to set you free. I want to move you to an area of your life where there's freedom. Verse number 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we will be made free? Now, they got mad at Jesus when he told them you need to be set free. We've never been in bondage to anyone. But in reality... These were the people that, if I read my Bible correctly, they were in bondage to the Egyptians for 400 years. And when Jesus said this to them, they were in bondage to the Romans. 
And a lot of times, even as Christians, we have the same thought. I don't need to be set free. And if I'm not careful, even as a believer, I can be blinded to a bondage. To an area in my life that I need to be set free. Pastor, did you ever need to be set free? Absolutely. I had all kinds of bondage. And so we keep reading here, and Jesus identifies some of the problem. Verse 34. Most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So he's highlighting here a lot of the issues or the bondages are they a direct result of sin. Verse 35. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, when Jesus was saying this, he wasn't talking about salvation here. He had already addressed believers, so what was he telling us? He was telling me and you as believers, you got two options. You can walk this earth free, or you can walk this earth in bondage. It's your choice. Now look back at verse 34, because I want to highlight one word in there. Whoever commits sin. Whoever commits sin. Anytime I start committing sin, I become committed to that sin if I'm not careful and I don't repent of it. When I'm committed to sin, it's if I've formed a plan to sin, or I've accommodated my life to sin. Anytime I keep committing that sin... It's ultimately going to lead to bondage. Doesn't matter who we are in this room, sin that's repeated over and over leads to bondage. It can even be generational stuff. So I want to deal with that just a little bit here today. Go, go to the book of Romans chapter 6 before we really get moving. Romans chapter number 6. And this is a real interesting passage to me because the subtitle of it, it says this, that you're either... From slaves of sin to slaves to God. Romans 6, verse 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Now a lot of people will say, well, you know what? Because I live under grace, I can do whatever I want. I can sin anytime I want. But look how that question was answered and he says, certainly not. In other words, God does never give us a license to sin. The thing that God frowns about is sin. God does not ever frown at people, but he frowns at our choices that we make. Not at us. Because why? God understands what sin will do. He says this, Do you know that whom present yourself slaves to obey or that one slave whom you obey? So right here he begins to tell us a person is a slave of which he gives his obedience to or he recognizes as his master. Now look what he does in verse 16. He breaks it down and says, You are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death. So when I obey the command to sin, sin becomes my master. And the wages of sin, according to Romans 6.23, is death. So He's telling me here that when sin is my master, ultimately it's it's leading me to eternal damnation. But also in this life right now where I exist, this place called earth, it's if I'll have some death in my life. Keep reading. 
or of obedience leading to righteousness. So he's telling us here, when I obey the commands of righteousness, it will lead to righteousness. It will lead to a life of great blessings. Verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yes, we were, yet you obeyed from my heart or from the heart that form of doctrine or the word of God which you were delivered. And so what he was telling me here is we were all slaves of sin, but there came a day when I renounced sin and I received Jesus as Lord of my life and I confessed him with my mouth and I believed in my heart that Jesus was Lord. And because of that, I became righteous in God's eyes. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Look how he ends this in verse 18. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Now think about this. Every one of us in this room, at one time or another, were a slave to sin. But man, there is good news today. Jesus wants to set you free. Now I want you to see a couple passages for where we're really headed today. Go with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7, and, and as I came across this, I thought this gives me a great picture of how a believer can see himself at times in our life. How we can be deceived even as believers. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse number 8. It says, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. And so where he's going with this, if I'm not careful... I can trust in these line words, and I think I'm immune from things not happening to my life. See, many times we have the thought because, well, I go to church, and I call myself a Christian, I'm exempt from a lot of things in my life. That's not true. See, many times we take on the form of Christian, but the power is denied. Now, you'll see real quick where he's going in verse 9. Will you steal... Will you murder? Will you commit adultery? Will you swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know? So he's dealing with sin right here because in this verse alone he lists five of the Ten Commandments. Right here. And look what he jumps to in verse number 10. And then you come and stand before me in this house. So he identifies us as, as ones we begin to practice or commit these sins but then we come into the house of God and we stand before God and, and look what he goes on to say here. And you stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? We say it's okay. And so it's if he's telling us that we live a certain way but on Sunday mornings we come strolling in here and we stand before God and, you know, we, we give him a little bit of our worship, and we may give him a little of our time and a little of our money, and it becomes just a performance or a ritual. But what he's saying here is, where's your heart at? Are you committed to me? Do you think you can just stroll in here, but even though you live in sin throughout the week, and you think everything's okay? Verse 11. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves? 
Now, when we talk about this place right here, the house, he's not talking about this auditorium per se. He's talking about me and you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says we're the temple of God. I'm the temple of God. And when he says you've, you've made yourself as a den of thieves, in Matthew 21, Jesus came into to the, the house of God in the temple and there was a den of thieves. And you know what he did with the den of thieves? He ran them out. He ran them out. So you keep reading this and he says, Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, says the Lord. And so what he's getting to here is we can't live or commit sin in our life and come in here and pretend that we're free and act that we're free and we're say that we're free when we're really not. Verse 12. But go now to my place was it in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. Now, I'm not going to take you to Shiloh, what he was talking about, but I can tell you what he did there. He destroyed it. People that would come into the house of God, and they wouldn't allow God to, to, to talk to their heart and to tenderize their heart. And when I read this, I think, Lord, I want to worship you from my heart. I don't want this to be a religious routine. I don't want this to be like exercise class on Monday morning, Tuesday morning. I go in and I do my duty and then I go home. God's not for that. God said, listen, I want your heart. And when he gets our heart, things begin to change and happen in our lives. Now, in saying all this, go with me to Luke 13. And this is what we're really going to get into. I got two or three more passages that we're really going to study today. Luke chapter 13. As you're turning to Luke 13, I'm going to give you a couple more questions or a little analogies that I believe will help us where we're going. The first one is this. Let's just say tonight you're, you're in your home and late, late tonight the, the doorbell rings. And you go to your door and you look out the little peephole. And you see a couple guys that got masks on and got hoods on and got a bunch of weapons in their hand and it's pretty obvious they want to come in and take everything you got. So the first thing you would not do is you wouldn't open the door and say, come on in, boys. The second thing we wouldn't do is we wouldn't even crack the door. We wouldn't open it a bit. Not one little bit. But see, a lot of times as believers... We're smart enough not to open the door wide open to sin, but occasionally we'll crack the door to sin. What do I mean by cracking the door to sin? Well, the, the analogy that I think can help us the best is a thing called pornography. Some people will say, well, I don't watch or look at hardcore porn. I just look at soft porn. Now, just think about that statement right there. I didn't know porn was divided between soft and hard. So the thought is this, I can watch a little soft porn, and really it's this way, that I've cracked the door to that. And understand this, if you crack the door to it even a little bit, the devil's going to come in. He's going to come after you. Just with a little bit. Look here, Luke chapter 13, 
verse 10. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. You know what Jesus was doing? He was having church. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could no way raise herself up. Now, the New Living says she was crippled by an evil spirit. Now, let's think about this just a second. Really, really focus here. Where was Jesus at when all this took place? He was at church. And there was a woman who was a believer within the church who had been bound by eight for 18 years by a sickness or a disease. Verse 12. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. Now the majority of the time in the New Testament, when you see people that had issues, they would almost always come to Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? In this passage right here, Jesus called her to him. I'm going to show you the answer for that here in just a little bit. So he said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want to set you free. This woman who was a child of God. So it shows me right there, number one, that believers can have infirmities within them. But number two, Jesus wants to set you free. Jesus still heals and he takes care of these things. The problem I think happens to us a lot of times as Christians is we don't want anyone to think we got any issues. Understand this, just because things are happening in your life doesn't mean you're a bad person. just means we need to be set free. Verse number 13. And Jesus laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now I want to highlight that just a second because it said here, Jesus laid his hands on her. Something happened supernaturally through the laying on of hands. He commissioned us in, in Mark 16, 18. He said, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So I'm just setting the table for this right now because we're going to lay hands on the sick here in a little bit. And I want you to see that this is biblical. But I want you to see something else in this passage here. It was very simple. Jesus didn't put on his religious face, uh, his face and say, I'm going to lay hands on you. And I'm going to break your neck by forcing you to fall down. And Jesus didn't say one thing. Now, you'll be healed if you're slain in the Spirit, whatever that means. And the reason I highlight that, because a lot of times as mankind, we think the only ones that are getting touched by God is if they fall down. Well, I'm here to tell you, if they fall down, great. But that isn't the sign that Jesus said anywhere in here. I just want you to understand this. Many times when, when people begin to fall down, it could be under the power of God. But if we're not careful, there's a lot of human beings that think they have the credit for it. Well, I laid hands on all these people, and mine were the only one that failed. You couldn't heal a fly. I can't heal nobody, okay? That's the name of Jesus. And so Jesus was simple. And I say this to comfort people, that when we lay hands on you today, you're not going to need to go to the doctor tomorrow and get a neck brace. We're not going to break your neck, okay? I promise you. I don't know why I'm highlighting that, but we better keep moving. Verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. 
He was mad. And when you look at this guy, he was self-righteous. And many times, remember, self-righteousness is wrapped in a form of religion. So he's mad. What's he mad about? Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Now, what he quoted right there was biblical. That was right. But the next sentence is where he gets in trouble and he says, Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. So what he does, he tries to interpret the Bible. He tries to say, you shouldn't do those things. But I can find seven different references in the New Testament where Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And when this guy said this, you want to know what Jesus thought about it? Look at the verse 15. Then the Lord then answered and said, hypocrite, hypocrite. In other words, what's your true purpose, buddy? And when Jesus said this, here's the thought always comes to me with stuff like this. What are we coming to church for? People. God's goal has always been people. For God so loved the world, he loved people. And even in these situations, Jesus said, let's come to church to watch people get set free. Let's come to church to watch people get saved. Let's come to church and watch people get freed and, 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 and taken away from bondage. He wasn't concerned about the religious stuff. So he said, you hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead her away to water? Get this, verse 16. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham. What's that got to do with it? Remember when Jesus called her to him? The reason Jesus called her to him, she was a child of God. She was a child of God. Actually, in Galatians 3, 7, it says it's only by faith. And so this woman was a believer. And he identifies that and he says, Is this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, get this, whom Satan has bound? Now there's a couple nuggets in there. If we'll really listen to what Jesus is saying, it'll help us. A daughter or a believer who was a Christian could be bound by Satan. A spirit of infirmity. And he says this, he said, Whom Satan is bound, think of it, for 18 years be loose from this bond on the Sabbath. And so when I read this right here, I begin to see what he's talking about. And you know what he's saying? As a child of God, I don't want her bound with sickness. And as if he's telling me and you, I don't want you bound with sickness either. Now listen real clear, clear here when I say this. I'm not in any way saying that every sickness means you have a devil, okay? That's not at all what I'm saying. Get a hold of that because I realize people can take this crazy. And, you know, you be on your way home and your child has a nosebleed. And you say, man, you need to cast the devil out of their nose. Someone sneezes, he's got a devil. That's not what I'm saying at all, okay? But when I look at this passage here and you find other references in the Bible, there are times that you see that the thief has brought sickness into people's life. Why? To steal from them. But you know what I see here? 
Jesus wants to set you free. And many times in our life, there can be something in the natural that has a spiritual root. How do I know that? Well, Jesus said in a couple passages, the first one he said in John 5, 14, he said to the man who he healed, he said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He said to the woman in adultery, go and sin no more. And when we read there in John 8, 31 through 36, he talked about what happens with sin. A lot of times the way the devil gets access into our life is through sin. Bondage. I got one more passage I want you to look at. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And as you're turning to Mark 7, I'm going to read, I'm going to read two passages and you can write these down that I believe will really help you this morning. The first one is found in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. You're going to Mark 7. Acts 10, 38 says, listen closely. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all those that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What did Jesus do? He went about doing good. What was doing good? Well, what he said right here. Healing all those that were oppressed by the devil. Can people be oppressed by the devil? Absolutely. Listen to this one. This is in Acts chapter 19. This is verse 11 and 12. It says, now God worked unusual miracle by the hands of Paul. You know why he worked usual miracles by the hands of Paul? Because Paul was very humble. Verse 12. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the disease left them, and evil spirits went out of them. See, God still does those things. Jesus did it, but I highlighted Paul there because Paul was a man just like me and you. Now we jump here into to Mark chapter 7. Begin with me in verse 24. From there, he, Jesus, arose and he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Now what happens here is I believe Jesus just flat out wore out. I believe he's tired. I believe Jesus needs a little sabbatical. But this was the only reference of Jesus leaving Jewish territory and going into Gentile region. This area of Tyre was Gentiles. There's a bunch of Greeks, okay? So this is where he's at. Verse 25. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit. I'm going to read that again to you. For this woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit. Young daughter. Not old daughter, young daughter. This tells me right here, the devil will go after children. But the devil just can't go after your children without having a reason, without having the door cracked, I believe. How can I prove that biblically? Well, remember in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says your adversary, your opponent, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may. So the only way he gets permission is in our life when we open the door to him. Now, this is a young child. I don't believe she probably opened the door to him. I believe her parent did somehow. So he goes on to say here that she has an unclean spirit. And she heard about Jesus and she came and fell at his feet. 
Here's Jesus in this Gentile area. Can you imagine this? This woman comes and falls at his feet. And I think about this, that any time we fall at the feet of Jesus, think about it. This is a form of incredible honor, but also of humility. It's as if she was saying, I don't know what to do, but you do. Let me ask you, when's the last time you bowed before Jesus? Something happened even with this unbeliever. Verse 26, the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. I want to highlight that. Because that's not just thrown in there to take up space. The word Syro means she was part Syrian, and the word Phoenician means she was born in Phoenicia. What has that got to do with it? Well, when you study the Syrians, they were a group of people that were bound with pride and arrogance. And the Phoenicians, this was the birthplace of witchcraft and the occult. Actually, one of the the worst people ever that came out of Phoenicia was Ahab's wife, a woman named Jezebel. Now, Jezebel, wrapped up in one thing, was the wicked witch of the east, the west, the north, the south, the above. She was the description of witchcraft. This was where she was born. So when looking at this, this woman, could she had had issues with being prideful? And could she have dabbled a little bit in the occult or the witchcraft? And could that have opened the door up to this? See, many times in our own life, we open up the door to the devil without even thinking about it. Eh, what's wrong with watching a demonic or a scary movie? What's wrong with my children watching cartoons that emphasize magic? What's wrong with Ah, little Dungeons and Dragons. What's wrong with me reading a Harry Potter book to my kids? What's wrong with me looking at a horoscope? You want to find your future, just read the Bible. You know, every now and then we like to play a little bit on the Ouija board. See, every one of those are cracks in the door. And you know what we think as human beings? It's innocent. It's not innocent. And what about celebrating this one holiday that we worship witches? Well, Pastor, Halloween's innocent. Well, you know the root word, Hallowed, comes from the same root word that's found in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Hallowed be thy name. And that word Hallowed literally means to worship. And so we think it's okay to go out and just worship witches? See, it's very easy To open or crack the door to the devil. I'm not throwing stones at you guys. I've done some of this stuff. But when I read this and I get over and think, all that's harmless. And so just looking at all this, was this what happened to this little girl? I don't know. So she's Syrophoenician by birth. And she kept asking Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the, let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Jesus, just call this woman a dog. Rude, harsh. 
You know, if I looked at some of you today and said, you dog, you'd probably get up and walk out. But we've got to understand the Jewish terminology a little bit. When Jesus was talking about the children here, he was talking about the Jews or those in covenant. So let's just put Jews in there and listen to what it says. But Jesus said, let the Jews be filled first, for it is not good to take the Jews' bread and throw it to the little dogs. So what Jesus was saying for, I can't take something that was meant for them and give it to you. Because he's in covenant with the Jews. And what he was telling her here is, you're separated because you're not part of the covenant. Now the word dogs, when the Jews used it, it was used in a derogatory sense that was aimed at Gentiles, which literally meant people that were lost. So this is what he was referring to. You're not covenant. And I believe when Jesus was saying this, he was wanting to her to give him a, a confession of faith. Because look what happens in the very next verse, verse 28. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. She addresses Jesus as Lord. What happens when you address or confess Jesus as Lord? He comes into your heart. And he says, you know, this has got some great, great uh, meat on it for us Gentiles. So she says, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. In other words, she was saying, but Lord, isn't there enough for us, the little dogs, the ones that aren't of the covenant, to fall on the floor? And what she says moves Jesus to the point then he said to her in verse 29, For this saying, Go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone and out of her daughter lying on the bed. And so what, here, what ends up happening here is, when I get born again, I come under the covenant. And you know what I can tell you? Jesus has got some crumbs for us. But the key is for every one of us in here, i got to give my heart to Jesus. And when I give my heart to Jesus, you know what he says? I want to heal you. I want to set you free. I want to take care of you. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go here. i got time. I'm going to turn to Revelations 22. You can go there with me or you want or you can just listen to this. 